0: Sci-Fi for Me
1: presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is the H2O podcast. My name is Jason Hunt.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm Timothy Harvey.
1: And welcome, everybody. We are uh, broadcasting live to Odyssey Facebook and YouTube. And this is our 299th episode, and uh, Mr. Harvey is fading in and out of his camera shot. <laughs> green screen. Yeah, you, know, you gotta love it, uh, or whatever that the zoom puts on the
0: right. So virtual if, if you don't backgrounds have a zoom and if you- stuff if you don't have a green screen behind you, you can still use zoom virtual backgrounds. They're fairly effective if you don't move around a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but if you move around a lot or your hands can, you can get a lot of tracing and, and you can get strange things like here's bobblehead Cthulhu. <laughs> and now he vanishes. It's sorcery. Sorcery. I tell you. <laughs> so yeah, as long as I'm blocking the background, he shows up. But if I move him out, He's not, Yeah. well, he's also green. Well, so yeah, there's
1: there's not enough contrast, I would guess. A, probably. So Yeah, but so.
0: Bobblehead Cthulhu.
1: Bobblehead Cthulhu.
0: Found it, found it in many, many uh, comic book shops and conventions, and and I'm See, sure available online.
1: That's the kind of thing that you used to find at Stucky's.
0: <laughs> you know? Well. Okay. okay. Would you find a bobblehead Cthulhu at Stuckey's? Well,
1: maybe a <laughs> may, maybe a, a rubber dragon.
0: So that would actually be really funny. You come into a Stuckey's and you look over, and there's this like shrine to the elder gods. <laughs> right. <laughs> be like, um, perhaps we should go down the street. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I should I should uh, I should send Stephanie Stuckey an email and say, hey, you know what would be good in those Stuckey stores? Bobblehead Cthulhus. Mhm. Mm. Okay, so uh, the live chat's open, and I have to say, before we get started on our topic tonight, we got called out on last week's episode.
0: Did we?
1: And and I think, rightly so, to a okay. point. Uh, somebody somebody left a comment on the on the episode, basically saying, "Well, I was expecting to hear what makes a successful spinoff, and then you didn't even mention one of the most successful spinoffs." Highlander. <laughs> and we completely we completely missed Highlander. Now, in our defense, at least in my defense. Here's 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 what happens. This is what I call the Highlander effect where s- some of us have been so mentally incapacitated to think that there's anything beyond the first Highlander movie that ah. sometimes it's easy to forget there was a TV series.
0: Well, and, and, and in fairness to the success of the TV series, which did have a pretty successful run. All it did.
1: Yes. To... Um, and technically it is a spinoff of the movie. It, so, it, so it, it, is, would, it is a
0: spinoff and that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Um, it's also a show that that interestingly enough i quite enjoyed the first time i watched it but it's one of those shows that doesn't age well yeah it's re- and, and, and there's some still some neat stuff and some good storytelling going on in there sure but it's so repetitive well i mean and 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 frankly that's a product of tv at the time is that even even if you have these story arcs, and it did do some story arc stuff, there were a lot of more contained episodes. And at that time, when your premise is basically, "Hey, every week we have to get together and fight and cut somebody's head off," yeah. After a while, <laughs> right? It's and and and, and, and you know, if, if folks, if you if you still love the show, then by all means, I I, I I'm happy for you. I, I'm I'm glad that's the case. But personally, I tried to rewatch it. Oh, I don't know, four or five years ago, mm-hmm. and I got like three episodes, and I'm like, I'm bored, and that's unfortunate. I mean, I, I enjoyed it the first time I watched. It. I had a good time, um, and I even, <clears throat> I even had thought that the the spinoff, um, there was a spinoff of that show that was. Yeah. The Raven Highlander, The Raven, was that what it was called? Something like that. That sounds sounds right. Yeah, maybe. And it was it was was, um, um, Duncan's thief friend. Mm. Um, I think occasional love interest. If I I remember right, it's been too long. Um, I I didn't hate the fact that it got you know. I was like, okay, this is this isn't a, a terrible thing. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, in in fairness, we missed it, so well, we'll we'll take it. Yep. Yeah. but See, quite frankly, I think that... there's also the argument to be made that there is only one Highlander movie, and there's nothing nothing else <laughs> ever followed it. It was a one and done. They realized it did not require a yeah. sequel, and were content to leave it alone.
1: And and that also just pl- goes to show. We do read our comments, we do read our emails, so you know, if anybody if anybody has thoughts to share outside of the live chat, you are more than welcome to let us know what you think. So
0: Now I will say, if you do feel compelled to sit down and watch the sequels to the first Highlander film, because mm-hmm. there were in fact sequels. If you must, then what I recommend is skipping two mm-hmm. and everything after three right but if you watch was one it, wait and three, was there
1: something after three there were two more movies
0: one of the one of which went straight to the sci-fi channel and it's just don't um just I mean it's it's ghastly bad um but it's 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 hold on to the rights bad okay <laughs> <laughs> but it's um Uh, If you watch the first and the third one back to back They tell one story So even though the third is not a great movie It at least Benefits from the fact that they paid attention To the first film when they were writing it So there you go (laughs) My my damning with faint praise Of Highlander 3 (laughs) Mario Van Peebles Is Mario Van Peebles Is the bad guy in that He's clearly having a good time yeah. and that's that that you know he's he's doing his best Clancy brown impression and and he's clearly having a great time at it and that's a win i'll i'll, I'll take that as a win so,
1: <laughs> we uh anyway. we actually we interviewed not mario um his son i think not Melvin I can't remember, um, but it was it was one of the last live from the bunkers we did in in uh, 2014, 2015, somewhere around there where where uh, 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 Anne got to talk to a Van Peoples and I can't remember who it was now. Um, anyway, uh, I'll have to I'll have to look that up because I don't even know if I've got it in the archive anymore. So and yes it was Mario
0: Van Peoples from Highland Grease. Yeah. I was like, "Yes, that is was great. <laughs> And De- and Deborah Unger uh who I quite like as an actress.
1: I don't know that name. You've
0: seen her in a bunch of things. Probably. Well. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So, now that we've gotten that out of the way, let us That doesn't
0: that doesn't count as a digression because it's actually It is so it
1: is addressing viewer mail. That's right. Which we, which I, I would like to do more often. So, you know, let sure. us know. Okay, so Howard Phillips Lovecraft. We've talked about Lovecraft on this show before. We've talked about him in various different contexts. And the idea that he is problematic, of course, is going to come up. The whole controversy around him. But um, what I wanted to, what, what we had talked about uh, uh, discussing and, and focusing on tonight was Lovecraft's influence. And it is a long lasting influence, not only on horror in, in the main, but also science fiction in general, and even you know just the psychological thriller and, and some different things like that, because Lovecraft. Lovecraft is a mood as much as he is a a, a, a storyteller. I mean... Well,
0: there's you, there's actually a term for it. It's Lovecraftian.
1: Yes. Yeah. But and his... That doesn't,
0: it doesn't even have to have anything to do with Lovecraft and still have a Lovecraftian mood.
1: Yeah. And, you know, fog and eerie spooky and, you know, weird noises and unexplainable things and, and dark horrific a
0: sense, a sense of paranoia yeah um, um, th- th- to some degree I think you can and he certainly wasn't the only person to do it and he certainly wasn't the first but I think in some ways his writing helped really cement the idea of going home to a cursed um, yeah heritage between where, you
1: know yeah between Lovecraft and Poe I think they they pretty much set set the tone, I guess for modern horror and and everything that came afterwards because they had a heavy influence on everybody.
0: Well and when you consider the the influences that they had, you look at a lot of 18th century fantastic literature. You're looking yeah. at uh, Lord Dunsany. you're looking at Robert Chalmers. Um, the King in Yellow as uh, a lot of people there are a lot of people who think Lovecraft created the King in Yellow uh, because he sort of been s- he it them. Has sort of become part of the Cthulhu mythos by mm-hmm. almost osmosis. Yeah. Um, but you know that's that's Robert Chalmers and the um, the influence of these other writers, many of which a lot of people aren't as familiar with because they didn't. We almost didn't get Lovecraft, and I think it's an interesting thing: the influence of Lovecraft for somebody whose work in his own lifetime among. Other writers who had read his stuff, they enjoyed his work, but he wasn't a popular writer. He wasn't a successful writer. His work was basically going to disappear. And along comes August Derleth. And you can have very complicated feelings about Lovecraft. Lovecraft fans have complicated feelings about August Derleth. Because here's a guy who basically stole the rights to Lovecraft's work from the guy that Lovecraft actually meant to be his executor of his of his literary will, and yet saved Lovecraft from obscurity, essentially. Right. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your point of view. Unfortunately, in my case, opinions will vary. Right. Um, he sort of grafted on a. A good versus evil framework to Lovecraft's work that didn't exist in Lovecraft's work prior to Dulith really getting his hands on it i'm
1: not I'm not sure that Lovecraft even had very much of a framework with a lot of his stuff much. because, you know, he, he he wrote a bunch of short stories and novellas and and it was only later. When he, you know, the, the idea of a mythology that connects everything through the old ones and, you know, all of this stuff started to come into it. Because in the beginning, this was just horror. It wasn't cosmic horror. We didn't have right. aliens and supernatural and all this other stuff. It was, you know, it was just dark and spooky and you don't want to go down that alley because there are terrible dark things there. And... Then Cthulhu you know you had the call of Cthulhu and I think that, I, I can't remember if that one was the first one but that pretty much changed things and
0: you well, know you've got gotten... even then it was even then it was still fairly loose for lovecraft I mean yeah. I think derleth really helped crystallize this idea of the mythos um even I mean and and interestingly enough we we get these shared universes now and we get these you know, the MCU and the D C E U and all these different things. And yet to some degree, you know, Lovecraft <clears throat> and a lot of other writers were doing it, it wasn't just Lovecraft. Basically, you wanna borrow my idea? Go write your short story. Yeah. So, you know, Robert Howard and 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 Clark uh, uh, Clark Ashton Smith and some of these other writers were like writing off their own little creepy gods in the bog, uh you know, tentacle beastie come get you kind of Stories that were, you know, yeah. Lovecraftian before Lovecraftian was even a term.
1: And I, I see uh, red blinkies here. Where we're buffering a little bit. Um, not exactly sure why, but it looks like
0: <clears throat> it's the night gaunts. It's always the night gaunts.
1: Yeah. Well, let's see. Is it going to be okay? OBS is reconnection successful. So let's see. What uh, is gonna happen here? So, all right, all right, a little, a little glitchy tonight. So we'll see what happens at the playback. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, if you're here on playback, uh, it won't be a problem. Of course, if you're listening to this as a podcast, then it's not going to be a problem because. Uh, this is this is after the fact that we're live although I do invite you to enjoy the live show on Monday nights so if you're if you're with us by podcast. so anyway I, I think one of the things too that has always impressed me about Lovecraft just in general as a writer he's basically sitting there saying, hey, here's the sandbox. Anybody want to come play Ooh. And you know he left it wide open. For anyone to contribute stories into that, he didn't feel like this is this is this is my bag of marbles, and I don't want anybody else playing with my game. So I
0: think he just really appreciated the fact that there were people who liked what he was doing. I mean, yeah. this is this is a guy, and I think this this factors so much of what what made Lovecraft an effective horror writer was his own fears, right and. And this is a guy who was afraid of a lot of things. And uh, interestingly enough, Seafood, Seafood creeped him out. And <laughs> that,
1: that explains so much.
0: It explains so much <laughs> uh, that he got, I mean, and that's and actually um, one of the, one of the novel series uh, that was inspired by Lovecraft and, and features uh, alternate takes to some degree on Lovecraftian uh, entities um, is the uh, um, the Laundry series, and <clears throat> there's actually a joke in one of the more recent novels where it's like, <laughs> where where they actually meet the entity that goes by Cthulhu, and it's not <clears throat> a squid-faced giant beast; it's a much more insectoid, hive mind. Um, mutant terror wasp looking thing and it's and the and it's like yeah no i mean the reason we think of love uh, cthulhu the way we do is because lovecraft had a seafood phobia <laughs> and i was just like oh, that's a nice little joke there uh, well but, um, and
1: you you look at any you know they say write what you know and you take your life experiences, you take your experiences with people and with places and, and different things that happen to you or happen to people that you know. And that all becomes fodder for stories, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, or if it's science fiction or just regular, everyday, you know, uh, slice mm-hmm. of life drama or anything like that. So for, for him to channel his fears and paranoia into these stories that have lasted for so long. You know, that speaks not only to his his skill as a writer but also the the kind of fears that he tapped into in the audience in the Zeitgeist. It's that because we've talked about this before, the fear of the other, that mm-hmm. that unknown Unnameable, indescribable thing that's out there that you you know you are you know the boogeyman in the dark that you don't know what he looks like but you know he's there and he's just ready to pounce and you got to cross the street even even though there's nothing there you just get this little little niggling intuition this tap on the shoulder that says you should cross the street right now (laughs) you know.
0: Or, or waking up in the dark in the middle of the night with a, to a noise that you can't identify. Yeah. And, I mean, some of this stuff is very, very universal. But also there's some very specific stuff that tied into his life that I think still resonates with people who aren't experiencing it in, in the same way is that fear of losing your mind. Mm. Um, Lovecraft, of course, you know, experienced that with family. You know, people who, you know, the asylum was not a place he was unfamiliar with. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's a recurring theme in a lot of Lowcraft stuff is that sense of of madness, creeping madness, whether it's creeping up on you over time or it's something that's thrust upon you uh by by the events uh that you're going through. And I think that 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 is a fear that I think resonates. With people, even if they've never actually had it touch um, themselves specifically, that fear of losing yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be a very universal fear as well. And I think that that's something that, um, because it's a recurring theme that is really prevalent throughout a lot of his, his work, we, maybe even more so now that we recognize how easy it is for us to mentally get off track, yeah. to to struggle with whether it's depression or or, or bipolar disorder or, or, you know, there's a lot of different things that, that can go wrong in the human mind. And I think a lot of us, quite understandably, um, that concerns us. I mean, you know, I... I I, I maintained very strongly that the four years I spent in therapy were some of the best four, <laughs> four years of paying medical bills I ever made. Um, because, um, you know, the, the, at that time in my life, having that, having that, being able to address what was going on in my head and yeah. my emotions um, was, really, was really beneficial. And it scared me. And I think that's a very real fear that, that we are not who we think we are. And I think Lovecraft can really, certainly a lot. It, so much of it is set in a fantastic setting, but it's it's something that resonates um, with a, our own personal fears um, in a way that you know you get you get uh, the fear of the other and the fear of the dark and the fear of, of something huge and beyond you right. that, that so much of Lovecraft deals with, but mental illness. Um, it can be a very, very personal and very, very pleasant thing, and I think probably we all know somebody who's whether it's us or somebody that we know who struggled with some sort of mental issue and so I think that that can really that can really resonate with folks
1: yeah um, well and and the other part of that too is this sense of maybe not necessarily helplessness, but this idea of the ordinary person being thrust into an extraordinary set of circumstances and what do i do with this you now what what because most of the lead characters in in lovecraft stories were ordinary people they got caught up in this gargantuan thing that oh uh, how do i handle this what do i do here and, you know, the horror, the horror, run away, run away. And those are everyman type characters where you can sit there and you can identify with that person because you're an ordinary person, too. What would I do in that kind of a situation? What, what, what would I do? Because I don't have any particular skills in fighting cosmic horrors and beasties and, and stuff. Well, so.
0: at the same time, they also lost a lot. And I think that one of the things that I think Lovecraftian horror really under underscores is the idea of the cruel, uncaring universe and you don't matter. Yeah. Because I think that's one of the things that um, a lot of, a lot of people who object to what Derleth did with the, with the mythos is that Lovecraft's Lovecraft's, dark entities, his Cthulhu's, his Narlowathotep's, his, you know, Shabnigaroth's, they don't care about humanity. They're not actively trying to kill us because they hate us or they want anything from us. We are gnats and we're kind of just in the way. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in the crossfire really of, of whatever their plans are. And well,
1: and, and it's, that... but it's not just that. I mean, you look at something like the rats in the walls, for example, which doesn't have mm-hmm. anything to do with cosmic horror. It doesn't have anything sure. to do with the Cthulhu mythos. It's that was, I think, one of the first one of the first Lovecraft stories that I ever read uh, as part of a short uh, a short story collection. And I, I've been looking around. I don't know. I don't know that I can put my hands on it right now, but it's it's. It's a story of a guy who goes back home like you like we talked about and loses his mind and here's here's all of these, you know, rats and and what sounds like rats in the walls of the house that he's inherited and you you know, it's a it's a creepy story and it stays with you and it's it's very effective in asking the question is this guy actually going through this experience for real or is it all in his head and at mm-hmm. the end of the at the end of the story you still don't quite know 100% i mean you could go either way really it's, and, a, it's a
0: very poean yeah girl and poean kind of thing
1: yeah and i have to I wonder how my, much how much they influenced each other at the time
0: my new annotated lovecraft ooh get it so. That's what it's called. It's not new. I've had this for several years. Yeah. Um, Doesn't actually seem to have the rats in the walls in the table of contents. Let me see. And I'm wondering if if it's included in one of the other things, but it is a weighty tome. Annotations are always
1: fun. I have here a commemorative edition. This is. The Necronomicon. This is the best weird tales of H.P. Lovecraft. Let me look and see if I've got the rats and the walls in this one. I think... Yep, there it is. I'm sure you do. I do have it, yes.
0: Somewhere, and I could not tell you where, and it may have actually been lost in the mists of time, um, I have... I still probably have the Simon Necronomicon, which was one of... Oh. A number of hey folks, we found the real HP Lovecraft Necronomicon. I know they think
1: didn't think I remember that one.
0: And it it's uh, the version I have, and this is one of the most popular ones, it was a paperback, and it tried to incorporate uh, it tried to incorporate Sumerian uh, and and the Lovecraft mythos, Sumerian uh, mythology, and I, I think, wanna, I think I wanna... they had some Egyptian stuff in there.
1: Yeah, I want to say I remember this one sitting on the shelf at uh, at B. Dalton.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and and it's it's absolute rubbish. I mean, it's just. <laughs> I mean, it, in fact, all of them were. Yeah. The, even during Lovecraft's lifetime, there were people who were trying to sell. Low uh, copies of the Necronomicon as the real thing, yeah. and to some degree, uh, you know, the book basically is a book of the dead, which are actual things. The Egyptian Book of the Dead is an actual thing, um, and well worth looking into, folks. You get the opportunity to to get a, you know, go go to the library. I'm pretty sure if you live in a big city. A good a good library probably has a copy of the Egip- Egyptian Book of the Dead. Um, certainly, minded in Wichita, Kansas. Just, so. just
1: don't just mm. don't unlock the secret piece and read certain pieces to conjure up. Beware. <laughs> Speaking of B. Dalton, oh. that makes me that makes me think. Something. I got I got to grab something here because I found something. I want to show you. We're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, I'll show you what I found. And right. we'll continue with our discussion of H.P. Lovecraft right after this. Stand by. Remember, no matter where you go, there you are. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday for news, science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week, plus interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for same It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse, every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back on the H Two O podcast, Jason Hyde here, along with Mister Timothy Harvey, and we're talking about there Howard Phillips Lovecraft. And uh, we were talking about B Dalton and in, in Walden Books, you know the the old Necronomicon. I was digging through some yeah, kids, stuff. Kids
0: at home. <laughs> B Dalton <laughs> and Walden Books used to be bookstores that you found in the mall. The
1: mall. And I'm uh, I'm digging through a box, and in that box I found my B Dalton BookSaver card, <laughs> and my Walden Books Preferred Reader card.
0: Somewhere, uh, you know what <clears throat> I have in um, my little bedside uh, cabinet. It's good is it's about I don't know 18 inches tall and it's got six drawers six little drawers in it and I'm pretty sure there's a I would find my my wallen books card and my <laughs> and possibly my blockbuster card are probably in those in, uh, in those drawers I
1: don't know that I've I don't know that I still have a blockbuster card but I do have the my B Dalton card expires in April of 1999
0: well When did B. Dalton expire? Um, Uh, The B.
1: Dalton one, this... Because this one has the stickers that you just put on top and and layer in. So the last one expired in June of 2004. Because Walden Books lasted a little bit longer than B. Dalton, I think, wasn't it?
0: Right, right. So so B. Dalton ended up being owned by Barnes & Noble. Walden Books ended up being owned by Borders. And, of course, when Borders went under, all the Walden Books did as well. I think B. Dalton camera wouldn't be Dalton finally shuttered, but that was really kind of the end where the mall movement that sort of swept America. Um,
1: kind of fizzled.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the internet for all, for all the big concerns about, about the internet driving the independent bookstores out of business with things like Amazon. One of the biggest impacts uh, for buying stuff online was on mall culture. Yeah, uh, and the internet and the internet being something that kids could do at home, they <laughs> didn't have to go to the mall.
1: No. Um, yeah. So, uh, Christopher is in the chat. Says late to the celebration. Are the deep ones still sleeping? Uh, as far as I'm aware, I mean, one you know, the can good hope. news
0: is is that we we live in Kansas City, so there is if if you know Cthulhu rises, then we have
1: a little bit of time
0: to ponder our fates before we die terribly
1: (laughs) you know it's kind of funny i was i was reading um i was reading alas babylon again here not too long ago and i got thinking about the proximity you know kansas city's proximity to various different targets for nuclear strikes sure and i'm thinking you know if if missiles okay so if missiles launch They got roughly about a 45-minute travel time, depending on where they're coming from. Unless, you know, you're launched from a sub at the coast, in which case, just forget it. But, you know, 45 minutes uh, with enough warning, you could probably get outside of the city. But I don't know that you'd get anywhere far enough, uh, because we've got a few different places around here that would be... Yeah and
0: folks folks if you watch Fear the Walking Dead do not take that what that show how that show treats radiation and fallout <laughs> with anything resembling accuracy cuz it's wildly wrong. Yeah. Everybody on that show is dead. They've all been dead for for months. Right. Because they can't seem to leave that 20 square miles of Texas that are an irradiated mm-hmm. wasteland. Yeah.
1: Uh Your Muslim uncle, have you guys heard the audiobooks of Lovecraft short stories read by Wade June? He's my favorite reader of these stories. I have not. Are, have you run across those? So probably.
0: But I don't recognize the name. Um, that doesn't mean much. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I will definitely check that out. Um, I actually have in my Audible catalog, several Lovecraft collections. So it's entirely possible that I do have that one, or at least I have something by them in in at least some of these, because some of them are anthologies collections. Yeah. Um, But I'll have to check that out. Thank you, because quite frankly, I'm I'm an audiobook junkie um, because I have the ability to listen while I work. And um, so. Uh, th- thank you. If nothing else, for the recommendation, there's a BBC radio series that has been adapting some of Lovecraft's work into modern settings, mm-hmm. and um, Hunter Hunter in the Dark. Can't remember, I can't remember what the name. But anyway, if you if you go to the BBC's radio BBC radio website, um, you can find them. They're actually really good. Mm-hmm. I, I recommend them. They're a lot of fun. Uh, faith, pretty faithful. And still updating them for uh, for a modern audience and I want to um, circle
1: I want to circle back to that one here but I want to want to get to into MS's question here about Robert Howard being an influence on Lovecraft D- did it, it was the other way around right the way around, Lo- yeah. lovecraft Lovecraft came before Howard and Howard actually put some lovecraftian type of things into the Conan stories
0: oh yeah and yeah. He, he, he wrote his fantasy his fantasy world in fact lovecraft Conan's Hyperborea is a prehistory world, right? So yeah. it deal it, it. Some of these elder god things are lurking about a lot more presently. They're the minor ones, right? Mm-hmm. But so so yeah, he he incorporated. He he took and, and ran with that a lot. A lot of Conan's uh, universe is. um well it's it's a shared universe it's a it's, it's a lovecraftian universe um so and I I want to say they were I can't remember the, the exact details on their relationship I want to say they were they were friendly mostly through correspondence um that sounds because about Lovecraft, right. Lovecraft wrote to a lot of a lot of younger writers um, and he Howard I don't think Howard was part of the New York group um I don't think. He was part of that, that little group of of writers that Lovecraft worked with uh, when he was living in New York. But
1: yeah. um Yeah. Would love a crossover in movies? I heard a, a crossover about uh, with Conan and Lovecraft stuff, that would be interesting. You'd have to get another good
0: Conan movie. Yeah. And I don't know they've been they've been promising us Conan the King. Was it Conan the King, the, the Schwarzenegger yeah. Yeah. film forever, and I'm, we're never going to get it? No. I and don't, I and, don't and honestly, okay. So here's my pet theory about the next Conan movie. Arnold has to have died. Because his he and this is not not and I don't I don't You're want talking him about to the, the actor Arnold. Sort yeah Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold has to be gone. Yeah. Because he for i think for too many people that is conan they've never read the books yeah they've never read the comics they don't even they don't know anything about him that's just he he he's one of the it's one of those performances and it's the first movie not the second movie it's it's just boom it's the shadow that looms over everything it's kind of like trying to you know recast you know superman after christopher reeve right yeah i mean it's like you have they, they made such a footprint on the psyche of the viewing audience that it's like, it doesn't matter how good the next Conan script is or how good the production values are.
1: Well, because they did one with uh, uh, Jason Momoa. And they did it, yeah? It didn't... Which it I didn't... haven't
0: seen... I haven't seen... I didn't, I didn't care so much... Um, I think curiously, well, but it's also fighting against the sword and sorcery. This, the, that particular period of the 1980s were really yeah. good for sword and sorcery movies, <laughs> um, but but by the mid 90s they were pretty much done. Yeah, I mean, and and they never have really come back. And I think that that's some that's both good and bad. Um, I I enjoy them when they're when they're fun, um, but at the same time.
1: I you know, wonder. You really if, have to... I wonder how much that's impacted by, not necessarily the the capes, the superhero films, and the 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 spectacle there has gotten us used to all of this money and CG and all this other stuff, and and the expectations are such that a, a typical sword and sor, excuse me, a typical sword and sorcery. Uh, would have some challenges these days because how much more could you put in there to get as over-the-top as you do with a Marvel movie? Well, I mean, I mean th- I think that I'm, dragon's really, going to have to be really big.
0: Well, I mean, you, know, you, could, you have the success of something like Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. But you also are running into, and this is something that Game of Thrones was running into at the very beginning, is you're being, you're automatically going to compare it to something like Lord of the Rings. Right. And, and so these, these epic fantasy series, whether they're on television or other movies, if they're not as good as, which is almost, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big ask right there. I mean, considering how, how lucky we were to get three Lord of the Rings movies that were as good as they were. Yeah. Leaving aside the, the 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 missteps of the Hobbit, but that's kind of and and again, how much would we have we would we still would have thought it took too long? We didn't need three movies, but if we hadn't had Lord of the Rings, would we have been quite as critical as the Hobbit as we were? I think we still would have been critical of it because it maybe didn't need to be three movies.
1: Well, but, no, you it didn't I mean, need to be three movies. But but see, it, but that's that's the influence of Star Wars. Sure. Oh, because yeah. everything has to be a trilogy because, you know, I mean, back to the, you look back to the future, back it to the doesn't... future was supposed to be one film back <laughs> right, to the future yeah. was a one off. And then it did a ton of money and it was so popular and incredibly successful. And they said, okay, what are we doing with the next one? And Zemeckis and Bob Gale, are like, uh, there's not a next one. And, you know, I, I mean, that story is famous. Bob Gale talking about, if they had known they were going to do a sequel, they never would have put Jennifer in the car. Cause right, now right. you got to get Jennifer out. And how do you do that? And we saw how they did that. And it was a complete waste of Elizabeth shoes talent. Right. I was like, what are you doing here? All right. So, uh, your Muslim locals got another question here. Uh, we have, uh, our, have we covered our favorite stories about mountains of madness one of my all-time favorites, I think, comes down to The Rats in the Walls. We didn't talk about The Rats in the Walls. We haven't talked about them At the Mountains of Madness yet. Um, so
0: that is, in fact, my favorite Lovecraft story. And part of that comes out of the fact that he actually gives the story time to develop. Mm-hmm. The short story format is really great. I love short stories. I have a lot of short story anthologies. But... But... Um, you have a limited page count, limited word count. A lot of that stuff was written to a word count. Yeah, um, You know, it had to be so long. Uh, you got paid by the word, et cetera, et cetera. But that actually gives, it opens it up. And it also really just, there's a sense of atmosphere to that, that it, there is always going to be part of me that is going to really, really hate the fact we are never going to get del Toro's at the mountains <laughs> of madness. I want it. I'm not going to get it. I resign myself to that fact. If it happens, I'll be
1: Can you imagine God, back. you mentioned the Game of Thrones. Can you imagine because now, now don't 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 totally give up because we're getting rendezvous with Rama finally. Maybe, I mean it's, I in trailer, it's in development. It's in development. They're actually when working I on it. The, when I see the trailer, I know. But you know, we've we've got more progress made on it now than we ever have been before. Oh, so God, no kidding. Del Toro's version could one of these days maybe happen. But you mentioned Game of Thrones. Can you imagine a ten episode? Lovecraft, and I know we had Lovecraft Country and, and that kind of thing, which is, but that's an original thing. It's influenced by Lovecraft, but it's not Lovecraft. Sure. But if you had a 10 episode anthology that takes the, the Lovecraft stories that are all related in the Cthulhu mythos mm-hmm. and blends them all together into one 10 hour story of some sort. I have no idea what that would look like or how you'd even go about doing it and and have it make sense. But the entire 10 episodes is set at Miskatonic University. I mean, you could take you that's your anchor point for everything, mm-hmm. location-wise and setting. And then you could go from there. And the important piece of this, and you mentioned a lot of these adaptations going into the modern era, we looked at a lot of Lovecraft stories when we were doing our own version of mm-hmm. the statement of Randolph Carter. And you and I had had a few conversations about, well, are we going to make it modern day era or are we going to set it back in the, the 19-teens? And we decided it has to be a period piece. It has to be set mm-hmm. back there because that, that in and of itself, the time period is almost a character is almost it's, it's a factor in how this is dealt with because how people react to all of this.
0: Well, yeah. And I think that one of the, one of the challenges to doing something with Lovecraft that modern filmmakers have run into,
1: I love this building, (laughs) uh,
0: is that, that the time, you know, in the 1920s when Lovecraft was writing this stuff, 1920s and 1930s, science had only gone so far. Yeah and so some some of the things that you can play with in this period were where we don't ha- we don't know as much as we know now so there's still mystery to some things you can talk about you know uh, other planets in a way that you can't talk about you know now that we have telescopes that can you know uh, that we have space probes and things like that this stuff didn't exist Barsian. and so there was there was a certain amount of, of the fantastical you could still ascribe to this the idea of creatures that flew between worlds was something that you know was science couldn't tell you couldn't tell you that that seemed that was going to be like really really hard to do yeah um so but um so in terms of other favorite story that actually is my other favorite of, of my second favorite i guess of the of them because we absolutely love uh I absolutely love that yeah. that it's
1: um Oh well, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah The Lovecraft um, Historical Society has done some fine, fine work. Yeah. uh,
1: uh your buzzle bunkle says, Do you know there's a Mountain of Madness two book manga? Did so not know this. I would
0: I would actually recommend I did know that. Be, and I would actually recommend hunting down there's like three or four comic adaptations about the mountains of madness. Oh. Some of them are um really really good um and i can't remember the name i can't remember the name of the one that i the last one i read but the artwork was very almost sketchy uh like unfinished but it actually lend it lent itself really well um i i didn't think i would enjoy the, the art style at the beginning and by the end i was like yeah okay i'm good with this um so, so you mentioned sort of the shared universe thing. If you can get your hands on, because they're still out there and they're still in print, Alan Moore's Lovecraft Trilogy. He had three comic series that he wrote that are interconnected and um, The Courtyard is the first one. Um, and then there's Neonomicon, not Necronomicon, Neonomicon. And then... Um, Providence, and have these, these these are all connected in um, one big, very dark. Shockingly, it's Lovecraft, folks. Um, <laughs> well, it's Alan Moore. It's Alan Moore, <laughs> but it's Alan Moore doing Lovecraft, and uh, it's like,
1: well, so he it, is it, he is a wizard of the elder gods, is he not? <laughs> uh, dark wizard.
0: He, he's got a very specific god that he worships. <laughs> it's, it's not an elder god, but. Um they're they're really good. Um they are I guess I guess fair warning for folks who would like Lovecraft, it doesn't end well because that's in keeping with
1: Yeah, I was about to say doesn't Lovecraft most is, of Lovecraft not end well.
0: <laughs> well, and Alan, Alan Moore has been has been known to be quite content to go to a dark place for an ending um yeah. because uh he he finds those stories interesting as well. But I I I actually um I actually really was impressed with with how well um Providence is pretty meta in terms of of considering Lovecraft as a writer and a character and how what what those stories are about and and the act of storytelling of course, yeah. Alan Moore has played with that too. The The power, Neil Gaiman, and this is one of the things that, that Neil Gaiman does with some of his Lovecraftian stuff, is the power of storytelling and the influence that telling of stories you know, um, can have for good and for ill. Yeah. So it's Lovecraftian. It's for ill. It's for ill, folks.
1: <laughs> uh, let's see here. Your Muslim Monks says there's a radio... Version of a Shadow Over Innsmouth that was recorded at DragonCon, also on Audible.
0: I may have to check that one. out. I don't think I've heard that one. Now,
1: Christopher's asking, what do you think about the resurrected, resurrected adaptation of the Case of Charles Dexter Ward by Dan O'Bannon with Chris Sarandon? I have not heard have about we, this one. I have.
0: Have we? Have, shall we? Shall we talk about movie adaptations for a second?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, we're we're <laughs> we're coming up at our hour, but I think we're going to go a little bit long because we have we we've talked about. Lovecraft and his impact on horror, but we should probably talk about some of the other writers who have been influenced by Lovecraft. So adaptations oh, yeah. is a good way to get into that because we already mentioned Del Toro.
0: Sure. Yeah, the actually, uh the resurrected is entertaining. Chris Surrendan is always fun to watch. However.
1: <laughs> There's always a the however problem... with you. No,
0: I- yeah, I mean Lovecraft is a real challenge yeah. to get to to bring to the screen. Oh yeah, you and I you and I dealt with that in yep. a certain way. Other other filmmakers have as well, and I think that some of the best adaptations of Lovecraft have not been one to one adaptations. You look at John Carpenter, heavily influenced by by Lovecraft. Um, you look at his Apocalypse trilogy, right? Mm-hmm. The Thing, um, of course, being the first one. That is the thing from another world is straight up a Lovecraftian monster. Yeah. And, and then you look at um, uh, the third film, you look at uh, in the mouth of madness, obviously influenced from the title on down. It's a love letter to Lovecraftian uh, storytelling. And he gets around the fact that If you don't like Lovecraft, there could be a number of reasons. One of them can be the writing style. It doesn't work for everybody. Squamous is a word. It's a real word, folks. He didn't just make it up. But it's a whole bunch of really really 19th century language yeah. that Lovecraft, l- as, as, a, as a reader, loved that kind of language. It, really, a lot of these, these other authors have influenced him. It's archaic. And it was archaic at the time in the 1920s and 1930s. It's even more so now. I definitely get that some folks find that off-putting. But when you translate the ending of a Lovecraftian story, which essentially can often come down to, it was indescribable. Uh-huh. That don't work too well on the screen. <laughs> you got you to gotta put something up there.
1: Well, we managed. We've managed to avoid yeah, and, and, avoid putting it up there.
0: But I think that I think that Carpenter does that too. When you get to the end, and if you haven't seen it in the Mouth of Madness, folks, you should watch the movie. So I won't spoil the ending. But there comes a scene where you potentially could have this like big effect sequence and show all this stuff. Yeah. And Carpenter teases. He doesn't let the camera linger. You never get. A full view, and the closest thing you get to a wide shot is out of focus intentionally. Yeah. The foreground, you've got you've got our our, our hero in the you know, right here in the front. Well, and, and that's, he's in focus, but behind him, there's something coming, and you can't yeah. quite see what it is. That's
1: that's straight up Hitchcock, because oh. you know Hitch, Hitch, Hitchcock was one of those who you know when you're talking about something suspenseful and and scary, he's like you know you only give him just so much the audience has the imagination they fill in the details they can scare themselves a whole lot more than I can do
0: and of course you have budget up here Yeah. well you have anything uh, from Marvel
1: Jaws is another example of that because (laughs) however we got there you don't see the shark I mean from a behind the scenes standpoint inside baseball the shark didn't work but not having the shark in there only enhanced the threat and the dread and the where is it going to be next. And then when it did show up, it had had a higher impact, both visually and viscerally and emotionally. Oh, my. There he is. And, and And Bruce worked when he worked. But that was one of those things where, you know, less is more. And a lot of what we get now is not that. We have well, We have the exit. Oh, hey, we have all of these toys that we can play with. Let's use all of them. And, well, and I think it doesn't that, work sometimes. It, it doesn't work sometimes. And I think there are some folks who have
0: gotten it right. Brian Yunza did the, um, uh, the Reanimator movies. Yeah. And they are... They're Lovecraft's shame, okay. <laughs> Love Lovecraft fully admits he just wrote them for the money. He didn't think very much of them. But he didn't write super... the movies.
1: He wrote the original right, stories. Right, right. The movies are based on. MS was actually asking about that. Do we consider Evil Dead a Cthulhu mythos, or what about reanimate? Oh, it's heavily talking...
0: influenced. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's it, you, you're the the Deadites. The I mean, the, the
1: Necronomicon shows up. Yeah, it's Book an, of I mean, the it's, Dead. It's,
0: it's it's very much. Uh, um, a Lovecraftian universe that they live in, yep. and but Yunza, I think for the for the what is it uh, from beyond reanimator, the early stuff that he was doing with his adaptations were actually for the time especially pretty effective. Dagon, which is essentially um, the. Shadow over Innsmouth. Yeah. It's a version of that. It's just called Dagon. Um he goes too far with the creature at the end. He he shows too much. Um, and the effect isn't bad, but it's like okay. No. Um but but then you get something then you get something like um uh, uh, Lovecraft Country, where you get all these creatures up on the screen mm. But their their interpretations—they're not saying they they call this thing a shoggoth. It's not a shoggoth from Lovecraft. That's what pe- other people have named this creature. Yeah, these creatures, right? And they're aware it's not the thing that Lovecraft is describing. It's just that's the label they've they've decided to call these things a thing. They should what they show is not the Lovecraftian monsters. They're it's Lovecraftian light or love like Lovecraft's monsters. And these are quote unquote, the real things that, that these things are, are perhaps based on. So they, yeah. they deal with that in a way. So you, they get away with it. They can show you the creature and give you these loving shots really of, of, of a really effectively designed monster and yet still f- stay truthful to the intent of, of Lovecraft's universe. And that's a tough balancing act. That's one of the things I really liked about Lovecraft Country and and the novel that it's based on, um, uh, Brian Ruff's... Ruff's? Huff's? Ruff's? Uh, uh, Lovecraft Country. But um, it's an interesting way of tackling the Lovecraftian universe and make it be part of a different kind of story, too. So yeah. that's a real challenge for Lovecraft stuff because the ending usually involves... It's coming for me. I can see it. And he's writing, by the way. Um, it's breaking down the door. He's still writing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's broken through the door. It's coming across the room. It's like, no. hang on. <laughs> yeah. But it's a writing style, right? So, I mean, that's that's hard to translate the film.
1: Well, and I think that's one of the things that we ran into when, with Randolph Carter when we were doing the adaptation. Because these things are told in first person. Mm-hmm. And there's a single narrator. There's no conversation. There's no dialogue in the traditional sense. Right. And what we ran into was well, Randolph Carter is talking. And this is after whatever it is happens, happens. And he's got to be talking to someone. And mm-hmm. it's implied from the various different things that Carter says that people are asking him about things. Well, you say somebody saw me up there. And you, this, this, this. so somebody is there talking to him. He's in conversation with somebody. And our our extrapolation was, well, he's being interrogated by the police. That was our conceit in order to put actual dialogue on camera. Because you're right. Doing any kind of a direct adaptation is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Unless you're just somebody standing there on a bare stage and say... I had a terrible experience. Let me tell you about it, you know, and and, and just narrate the thing.
0: Which could be very effective. Could be. Yeah. But uh, As a one man as a one as a one person show, you know, <laughs> you on stage. Yeah.
1: Like, well, you could do a one man show kinda like kind of like uh like Hal Holbrook did with with Mark Twain. Sure. Do an sure. HP I mean, Lovecraft it, one man show. <laughs>
0: that, hey, there's that there's would be, one man there's there's one man shows of Hamlet. Yeah. I mean, the, you could do this is stuff that could be done.
1: Yeah. Uh Ms asks if anyone's seen Color Out of Space. I have not. The, didn't you The Nicholas you watch Cage it? one? Yeah, the Nicholas Cage one. Didn't you watch that? The Nicholas?
0: Yes. I it, I think it's great. Did you it's Did concert. you write a
1: review? I don't don't we have I a did. review of that? Let me look. I don't remember if we do. I don't think we um, do. I don't think I did. Um it
0: is I, I really really enjoyed it. It's not a perfect movie. There's a couple of moments you want to reach through the screen and grab the characters and shake them until their heads flop around because they're they have a few dumb moments. But visually, that film does a great job of capturing the idea that Lovecraft was talking about this is something that is alien and hard to describe and has a terrifying effect on, on the the people who are too close to it i think it's i think it's we do not have enough it's really it's it's a lot more fun than you think it should be and Nicolas cage is really good in it and i would recommend as as a modern adaptation um it's not again it's not perfect but it's definitely one I would check out. You know, if you it's, have not
1: it's funny you talk about Nicolas Cage and, and and that 90s, you remember, you know, we were talking about the 90s sword and sorcery and and there was a there was a, a time period in Nicolas Cage's career. And he's doing interviews and he's talking about it now because a lot of people right. are talking about that 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 schlock era, you know, the stuff that he was doing the the straight to straight to video and and you know the the low budget stuff and everything else. And he's sitting there saying, This was one of the best acting classes that I've ever had. You know, this sure. that that experience because he, he put it all out there. He treated those jobs the same as he did anything else. And, you know, there was purpose behind what he was doing and why he was doing those jobs. But also the fact that he was he he takes those roles just as seriously as he would for something like Face Off or uh, Con Air or anything like that. I mean, as much as you can take Con Air seriously, anyway. anyway but you know, it's, to be it's, taken it's you know he treats every every project like it's a Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese big thing, and it's oh. that respect of the craft I think is what has gotten him as much prestige and notoriety as an actor as he has so that now people actually do want to see him as superman. <laughs> well, and
0: I think that in some ways he's kind of like Michael Caine in that he likes to work. Yeah. And I think that you know Michael Michael Caine uh, more than once has said that the reason he takes about every film he's ever been offered is because he grew up poor. And there was always this sense of no matter, matter how much money you have, living on the street is right around the corner. Yeah. And so you know that's why he, he you have a whole bunch of films. It's like why is Michael Kanan... Why is Michael Kanan On Deadly Ground?
1: Why is <laughs> well, Why is he
0: in this movie I with heard, that accent?
1: I heard a phrase one time. You know, financial seminars and whatnot. All these different things that I've that I've run across in my in my time in media. And somebody says everybody's broke at different levels. So it doesn't oh, even no. matter. I mean, if you've got millions and millions and millions, like you talk about, any, anything could happen at any given point and you either uh, lose it all or spend it all frivolously or whatnot, and, and, and there's still that sense of can we afford it type of thing. I mean, right. not everybody's got $43 billion in, 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 the, in the couch cushions, you know, so, well, and some
0: of these folks are. There's, there's been more than one study over time that shows that some people just cannot deal with large sums of money. Yeah, you know, so many folks who have who have won the lottery have been broke a year later. A year
1: I've, later. I've I've seen I saw somebody something something today was mentioned. Um, it was a video I was talking I was watching. I don't remember what it was, talking about the psychology of of lottery winners, and. How winning the money basically has has, runs runs the possibility of spiraling into depression because, you know, now everybody is your friend and, you know, all of your all of your circumstances change and everything's everything's different. Uh, Christopher says, "The Lurker in the Lobby: A Guide to Lo- Lovecraftian Cinema" by Andrew Milgore and John Strasik is a great starting point for film and TV adaptations. Has interviews with Carpenter, Del Toro, Gordon, and Corman.
0: I don't have that one, but I've seen it.
1: I've heard of it. I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I haven't. I don't have it, but I've heard of it. I've heard that title mentioned. Um, let me let me let me pop this one up because you want to talk about. Um, you know, the, the ordinary people get into extraordinary circumstances and why, why would you do this? Oh no. Oh no. Wait, don't. Have you heard about this? in the aftermath yeah. of in the aftermath of Notre Dame burning down and now that they're doing all of their uh, you know their their reconstruction and renovation and and restoring everything they have discovered deep underground a lead lined sarcophagus uh, this is a this is a story. IFL Science. Uh, and that's a great photograph. I I hate this. Mm-hmm. I hate the fact that it's you know Notre Dame right. burning down. Yeah. But it's it's a good good picture. A few weeks ago, archaeologists recovered some incredible findings that have been buried beneath the famous Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, which famously went up in flames in 2019. Among them, several tombs and a lead sarcophagus. Researchers now intend to open it. Sure. Now.
0: Okay. Like, nothing could possibly go wrong.
1: Holy ground! I saw I saw this uh, bandied about on Facebook. Holy ground, lead sarcophagus, deep underground, in a secret nobody knew about burial chamber. <laughs> okay. This, this is so, a Lovecraftian story setup.
0: Well, I mean, this is this is straight out of this is also straight out of um, F. Paul Wilson's The Keep. You ever seen that Scott Glenn movie back no. in the day? Um, But good the, the uh, actually, it's a very entertaining bad movie. Jurgen Prochnow's in it. It's got a great cast, but it's a bad film. Yeah, it's a great novel, um, which is also very influenced. F. Paul Wilson, um, also very heavily influenced by Lovecraft, as a, as a horror writer. But so here's probably the sad reality. The disappointing but probably safer reality of the lead line coffin i've seen seen a couple people point out the fact that a um it's entirely possible this was a rich person a a knight or an important person who died during the plague sure or at a plague time the lead line coffin was designed to you know uh keep keep it out keep it in whatever um but uh and i think they've drilled a hole into the, into the thing and they've looked inside it and it's just bones. Um, of course it's
1: always starts with just, it's bones. just bones until they open it.
0: That's right. Um, but in the, the, reality is, the that, is that when they do open this stuff up, um, there are, are protocols yeah. and they will, they will, because they're aware that sometimes you can get stuff that once it gets sealed inside this, you know, whether it's, sp- it's spores that can do damage to people. Um, there's a, um, there's a more than one theory that says that the some of the ancient Egyptian spores um, has given rise to some some lung damage stuff that people who do were do tomb uh, excavations would yep. develop lung issues because they were breathing in um, spores that for for plants that don't aren't around anymore. Yeah, and and we can't deal with them. So Christopher um, says
1: they should read the tomb of Sarah before opening or moving any graves in cathedrals.
0: <laughs> I. I I'm I'm guessing a couple of things are happening. One, there's going to be a priest on hand,
1: uh, more to, than one. Know, yeah.
0: How about and there? But everyone's going to be kitted up in in those, um, you know, environment suits yeah. because of the risk factor. I would imagine um, they'll probably
1: move it to a clean room.
0: Oh, probably because just to, if, if nothing else, to protect what's inside from our yeah. atmosphere. Because this thing has been you know sealed off for long. If there's anything in there that potentially could be damaged by exposure to vast quantities of oxygen at this point regular right. air or too much moisture in the room there's I'm sure there's going to be all kinds of things yeah. but, but it's going to be fascinating when they open it because it's a piece of hist it's a it's a it's a piece of history yeah and yeah. you know possibly the end of the world yeah, yeah it, it could
1: do? be yeah well al- although you know they figured that the that the the large hadron collider was going to set off a black hole and it didn't so you know yeah
0: we're, well, just you know, we're just We're just
1: on borrowed time now.
0: There's a there's do, doomsday. Doomsday has been coming for Real as long, long as humanity long, yeah. has looked up and went. Yeah.
1: Now here's I think, here's a there's a there's an H.P. Lovecraft historical group on Facebook. Somebody posted this photograph here. This is a bookmark. The claws coming out of the book. I thought it was rather rather. F- Nice, very nice. So so influences on you know we talk about film, but uh, other writers you talk about uh, the influence that that uh, that Lovecraft has had not just on book on movies and books, but also video games because you've got uh, the the uh, video game Bloodborne, I think is what it's called, uh, which is a a role playing game type of, of thing. I've never played it. Uh, but oh, it's, Call
0: of
1: Cthulhu is a game. Yeah, Call of Cthulhu is a game. Here's a movie that somebody mentions. Here, you mentioned John Carpenter. It says where Carpenter meets Lovecraft. It's called Portal to Hell, starring Roddy Piper. It was uh, 20, uh, uh, twenty Was it twenty fourteen? A short uh, Portal to Hell, where Carpenter meets Lovecraft. I've never heard of it. I mean, I know he did. Th- uh, what was it? They live. Them. They what live, yeah. They live. Which isn't is kind of Lovecraft meets it's, Orwell, it's, so.
0: Well, I mean, you look at you, know, you look at the your Italian your Italian horror cinema, and we've talked about this some of this over on Foreign Bodies, which yeah. is a lot of a lot of the Italian horror of the '60s and '70s was hugely influenced by Lovecraft. So I mean, so, it, oh, go ahead. as legacies go, he didn't do too bad, yeah. um, and I think that. I think one of the really effective things about Lovecraft in the modern era is that people have figured out you can tell all kinds of different stories. Um we've got, you know, uh, Christopher reviewed the Call Girl of Cthulhu and <laughs> you know, I mean it's 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 a thing that happened. You can see memes, you know, the collect call of Cthulhu. You yes. got the little the little illustration stuff. But there's there's a whole slew of books that are are fresh takes on on the Lovecraft mythos there's there's novels from the point of view of the deep ones from Innsmouth there's
1: well I mean you um, even have you even have the the old ones showing up in Star Trek
0: oh yeah quite frankly if you if you were reading the Virgin Doctor Who books during the great hiatus you know that um one of the doctor's biggest enemies actually is Narlawathetep and Shavnigareth <laughs> and and Azathoth, because those entities are what remains of Time Lords from a previous universe Ooh. that have bled into and they've become they become monstrous and 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 insane, um, and so one of the one of the. One of my all-time favorite of the Virgin <laughs> novels is "The All Consuming Fire," right? Which is Doctor Who and Sherlock Holmes fight Cthulhu. Oh, nice! It's wonderfully insane because it's a Doctor Who novel told from told by Doctor Watson. <laughs> if you can find it, because uh, they're super rare, yeah. it's not cheap. They're they're, they're very expensive paperbacks bags now, um, but it's one of my favorites of, of the series because it's. It literally is. So, here's a cool idea. Let's have let's have Doctor Who hang out with Sherlock Holmes, the Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes,
1: right? All <laughs> right.
0: Then and then let's have him fight Cthulhu, and it's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a whole series. There's a whole series of books um, out that's basically Sherlock Holmes versus Cthulhu. There's like four or five books in the series now, or mm-hmm. it's basically, what if the What if behind the scenes of the short stories that John Watson was writing is this larger battle that and and of course, you've got Holmes trying to get his mind around the fact that he wants an empirical world. His his abilities make sense if the world makes sense.
1: Yeah, the supernatural doesn't fit into that.
0: Here's an elder god. How do yeah. you feel about that, Sherlock? <laughs> and it's and and so I mean, it's not only the the challenge of the story, but Sherlock Holmes having to go. Okay, so here's the world. It all makes sense now with magic. Grr! <laughs> <laughs> it's it's they're uh, I'm they're not the best novels in the world. Uh, yeah, but they're interesting. Yeah. Well. Uh, and, and that's always that's some of that's just what I'll 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 be happy to have interesting sometimes. Yeah.
1: Christopher <laughs> says the song of horror is the latest Lovecraft influenced video game. It successfully captures the creeping dread about a cursed music box. The hardest mm. level of difficulty is called HP Lovecraft.
0: That sounds like fun.
1: I think uh, one of the elder gods shows up in Elden Ring as a boss. If I have that right, I'm not sure. I I have not played Elden Ring. Could be. I don't wouldn't, know anything about Elden me. Ring, but uh, but yeah. I, well, and, and you also you know you talk about video games. There's the radio because you know I'm am wearing my Welcome to Nightvale T-shirt. You know, sure. With the, with oh yeah. The dog Park Rules. Welcome to Nightvale is very influenced by by Lovecraft. Oh
0: yeah. And, yeah. I mean there's there's a lot of podcasts uh pod, or, or or well yeah podcast dramas that have been that are either heavily influenced by or directly um, tap into the Lovecraft mythos. And yeah. I think that that's, in fact, one of the ones I'm, one of the ones I was just listening to um, called Cryptic um, has that as um, it's, it's most recent reveal at the end of the second season was very much a, wait a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a, uh, you know, that's a lovecraft reference i see what <laughs> you've been doing for two seasons now
1: <laughs> well and you know you talk about all of these different people who have who have done this yeah you know, even some of some of the unexpected ones you know robert block robert block's not one that comes to mind right off the bat but you know the guy who wrote psycho um gary gygax was influenced Pretty heavily. I mean, you look at the you look at the original Monster Manual for Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons. Oh, lots sure. of Lovecraft monsters are in there. I think Cthulhu is even a monster in in one of the it, it wouldn't one of the me. books. Um, let's see who else. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki. I mean, we talk about American influence, but Lovecraft influenced a number of other people around the world, as far as oh, horror, sure. you know, video games and movies. Um, let's see. Oh, there's a whole. Almost. I mean, you
0: look at you look at uh, mangas like Spiral, um, that are are very Lovecraftian horror because so much. There's a whole. There's a whole subgenre of Japanese horror where terrible things happen without a good reason. Uh-huh. They just happen, and suddenly your town is cut off from the rest of the world, and suddenly people are twisting into grotesque shapes, and there's no answer. And that's very, of course, that's very Lovecraftian. Is the whole. Sometimes nightmare fuel happens for no reason you can determine. Yeah. Stephen King, of course, taps into a lot of that with with some of his, and while well, he often adds an explanation, um, a lot there's a lot that's left unexplained, and I think that's part of that's part of what makes Lovecraft enduring is that there is that sense of mystery when all of a sudden done. Um, you can't you can't ask Cthulhu what he's up to, because <laughs> you can't and and if if narlo Othotep talks to you you quickly realize you've just become a piece in whatever game he's playing and you're not the person he's you're not the entity he's playing against mm-hmm. you're just one of the casualties that are about to happen yeah you know i mean it's there's there's, a, there's that sense of ambiguity to lovecraft that i think you can add other writers other storytellers can add to it. And I think that really has...
1: And depending on what they add, you can maintain that ambiguity or you can start to clarify the unnameable and start to name things. And the undescribable becomes describable because you look at the work of H.R. Giger, for example, mm-hmm. with all of his designs that influenced Alien. And his stuff is straight out of Lovecraft but it's a, a definitive style that Giger invokes and uses in, in his artwork with the monsters, and the aliens and, and that kind of thing. But it is straight up Lovecraft. Well, in, And I think that you can, you can
0: end up with, with very different And you, mostly you see this in literature, right? Because of course it's, that's where so much of Lovecraft adaptations continue on. Hmm. You can find stuff that is very much stays to that very ambiguous, ambiguous in that, in kind of that, that, Harsh, cruel universe with, with unfeeling, uncaring, cosmic entities that that view us as as smears on the road. And you can tell lots of stories in that space, but you can also do things like the British author Brian Lumley, who really leaned into the good versus evil thing that, that August Derleth um, uh, really pioneered for Lovecraft, the Lovecraftian worlds. And he's got this whole series of books about these folks who are in the business of fighting fighting Cth- Cthulhu and his ilk. It's, yeah. it's like it's it's there's a big broad adventure in it that you've got that. Or you can go over to something like Charles Strauss's laundry series where you've got, you know, British spy agency meets the end of the world, meets Cthuloid you know, creatures and that- and it becomes almost this dark comedy of of nightmares. Um,
1: that 10 episode series that I would like to see, we've got to have Sam Raimi involved somehow. Oh, no kidding. that would kidding. And, yeah, be and great. probably Del Toro.
0: If you could give me a Sam Raimi, Calerable <laughs> Del Toro, 10 episode prestige series, HBO max, let's say, um, Netflix would be fine too. They've been willing to spend some money from time to time. Okay. That's fine. Uh, Amazon Prime, of course, they've they've been doing fantasy and, and and science fiction, so there's potential there. Sure. And just give a just just go to town on it. I mean, that would be
1: let's let's write it. That'd be, <laughs> take it,
0: I'd take it in my heart. Because because quite frankly, I think that that however you feel about Lovecraft as a person, and and um, there there are folks who who can't get over, you know, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of debate there about yeah. how Stuff. you feel about how people might feel about Lovecraft. and we've talked about separating the artist and and the art on more than one show, and I think that that's a that's a here's a case of that for a lot of people. But the thing is is that he has ended up being massively influential, and that influence has led to some really great stories mm-hmm. that a lot of people may not even realize were heavily influenced by Lovecraft. Stephen King and Neil Gaiman and a bunch of other authors all became writers in the horror space because they read Lovecraft when they were younger and they acknowledged that it was an influence. And a lot of these really, really, really influential modern authors... I mean, Stephen King. How many movies have been made from Stephen King? How many comic books and how many, and, how many good
1: movies have been made
0: from Stephen five. King? <laughs> there's been five. Um, but there's more than that. But and, and, and Neil Gaiman, of course, Neil Gaiman's got the Sandman series. You know, Dead Boy Detectives is coming to the screen. Yeah. Anansi Boys is coming to the screen. All this stuff. Um, so much. You you can find some really fantastic modern takes on Lovecraft uh, in in Gaiman's work. Even this folks. The Sandman has some Lovecraftian connections. You're going to see some of that on on, on the, the series. I guarantee it. Yeah. But I think that I think that the the influence that he has had, the reach that he has had, and the ability to to tell stories that you can open up into telling different kinds of stories, um, and and do build on what he established. Right. We've been doing it since the 1930s. That's
1: it's not bad, nope. and not we'll bad continue legacy. to do it. Now, one one story that's probably not influenced by H.P. Lovecraft. It's a graphic novel by Frank Miller, which was adapted for screen by Zack Snyder, and it is going to be the subject of our discussion next week. Three hundred. Which just so happens to be our three hundredth episode. Funny how that works out, isn't
0: it? (laughs) What a remarkable
1: coincidence! I know, right? All right. So next week, we'd have seen uh, that coming. (laughs) Assuming that everything goes right, uh, next week we will be having a discussion about three hundred, and it's going to be in the same in the same room. Yeah, we're going to plan. That's the plan. That That is the plan. plan. And this is predicated on the fact that i have not seen it yet right and so next weekend is going to be both discussion and analysis but also my re, my first time viewing reaction to it mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny uh, mindy went out and got a dvd and it happens to be full screen not wide screen i'm like oh, oh. but that's okay i mean it's it's right. hard to find I mean, this is pretty just the the only copy that she's found anywhere. So, really? uh so we're we're looking, but uh, but yeah, I mean, push comes to shove, I can I can I can watch the the pan and scan. That's that's not a problem. But it'll be it'll be an interesting experience. You're just gonna to die
0: sure. a little inside, though.
1: It's, <laughs> it well, I'm pretty sure that it will not be like my viewing experience with Bowfinger. Because I told you about that. I'm sitting and watching Bowfinger. And throughout the entire movie, that's not how it works. You can't do that. Oh, right, right, you right. Can't yeah, put okay, the, you mo- can you can't was, put the microphone the there. Wait, right, no, yeah. you can't. No, yeah, right, no yeah. you can't do you can't do it that way. And it completely took me out. I mean, I enjoyed the film, but it completely took me out of everything. I don't think that's going to told- happen with 300 with pan and Skip.
0: I told you that I know. I know I've told this story to you, uh, uh, maybe in the distant past. I'm not sure if I've ever told it here.
1: <laughs> Everything's yeah. a distant past these days. I know,
0: but when, when, um, um, oh, for heaven's sakes, oh God, now it's just, I'm getting old. Folks. Um, uh, found footage horror movies, not not Blair Witch, uh, Paranormal Activity. The first paranormal activity comes out. First paranormal activity comes out. My friend Paul and my friend Dustin and I went to see Paranormal Activity, and we really ticked off the rest of the people in the theater because we just (laughs) couldn't
1: stop laughing. Yeah, I think you. Not least of
0: which, not least of which was every time because it's you know, folks. The standard of the of the found footage is that someone is always running with a camera that somehow manages to stay mostly on the subject even if you're running away in fear of your life you're still filming and batteries never die right. tapes never run out and all these things we couldn't help but burst into just outright laughter when fuzzed out on one of the counters is final cut for dummies <laughs> because they filmed this in the guy's house yeah and he learned to edit in the during the the movie. So this was actually the director's own copy of final cut for dummies sitting there (laughs) on the counter. And we just lost it. And they were, people were just like, shut up. And we're like, but it's so funny. It's like, it's scary. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) This is a comedy.
1: This is a comedy. Uh, It's all, it's all in your point of view, as they say, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was Dustin and I are writers um, Paul and I were editors, and Paul was a cinematographer. So it was just like...
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. None of this is right! <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't do it that way! Oh, exactly. I know, I know. I just... I sat on the couch, and I I was very patient. And I didn't say it out loud too many times, but it was just a... Con- it, was a it was in there on a loop. <laughs> it was in there on a loop. And, and every now and then, I just huff a little bit and you look at me like what And i was like nothing <laughs> you just you can't do that but
0: it's but that's the kind of movie that you can kind of get away with that because it's it's the tone of the film that i know you but to they, laugh.
1: they get away with a lot in that oh yeah <laughs> it it's, is something that is uh, a fun movie. Though. Uh, I, I, I like that. Fun. All right. That's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Thanks to all of you who uh, dropped comments in the chat. We do appreciate that. And if you are here in replay, Thanks you can leave that. a comment. You can always leave us an email, h2o at sci fi You can connect with us on various different social medias and all the different uh, video platforms. You can sign up for a newsletter. I actually sent one out today to talk about our milestone episodes. So, uh, there is that. Of course, we've got the tip jar and the Subscribestar account. And uh, if you've got material you want us to review, you can send that to us. There's the address there. You can screenshot that. All of this is available uh, on our our website. So, uh, you can find us there. And of course, on any of the social medias, just search for Sci-Fi for me and you'll find us there. So, next week, 300 bum-bum-bum... And tomorrow, 400 for live from the bunker. So we're gonna be we're gonna be hitting episode 400. I have no idea what we're gonna do tomorrow, but uh, who knows? Uh, we may have some different people show up, and we'll we'll go through our best of list maybe. There so uh, we'll go through that, and then uh, back to do it all again next week. So thanks very much for it's being great. here, folks. Thanks, guys. Have a good night
0: this has been a presentation
1: of sci-fi for me radio copyright 2022 by flaming dog media llc all rights reserved no portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of flaming dog media you're listening to sci-fi for me radio